You are listening to Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, a weekly radio program that spotlights positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization throughout Philadelphia. I'm your host, Derek Hengemel. Jumpstart Philly is a unique community development program that trains, mentors, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in seven different Philadelphia neighborhoods, including Germantown, where the program was founded. Jumpstart believes that you can do well by doing good and focuses on removing neighborhood blight, scattered site rehab, creating a healthy mix of affordable and market rate housing, and avoiding gentrification through slow, steady growth and keeping wealth local. Interviews are conducted during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jumpinar series on Monday nights at 7 p.m., which are held via Zoom webinar. For more information about these events, you can check out the events page at jumpstartgermantown.com. This week, I spoke with Javon Forbes, who is the owner of 548 Construction, about the recent rise in the cost of doing construction and how aspiring developers can stay competitive in the high-priced environment. I hope you enjoy the conversation and be sure to check out the podcast version of this program at jumpstartgermantown.com slash media. So Javon Forbes is a managing partner at a construction firm, 548 Construction Incorporated. And for the last 14 years, he successfully invested in real estate throughout the United States. While investing in real estate, his ability to successfully manage his personal rehabs has provided the opportunity for him to create a construction company that allowed him to expand his reach in real estate even further. And prior to starting his company, he worked on Wall- at two Wall Street firms, Morgan Stanley and Lehman Brothers, upon completion of his graduation from Morehouse College. And while at Morehouse, even, even more while working at Wall Street, he dedicated his personal efforts to decreasing the economic wealth gap between African Americans and other races. He sits on the board of numerous nonprofits, donates countless hours to charities, and makes numerous monetary donations throughout the United States to organizations that assist with fighting the cause that he's passionate about. And through his company and his efforts, Javon has found a pa- found his passion in life. And he is not managing, or when he is not managing his event production company, he's work or working on his passion project. He enjoys time with his wife and two children. Uh, so it's great to have him here tonight. And Javon, I'll let you just say hi yourself. Hey guys, I hate hearing my bio. It's like I, I don't, I, I hate it. <laughs> it's like I hate hearing about myself. But well, uh, it's a great bio, and, and I'm uh, I'm pleased to introduce you. And and uh, well, what do you say? Should we just get started with the conversation? Let's get started, man. I'm, I'm excited for today. First, uh, thank you to Angie and you as well for having me uh, here with Jumpstart. I'm very excited to this make to have the discussion. It's something that really needs to take place with the way the lay of the land and real estate is changing uh, since the pandemic has hit. So I'm excited for it. All right, great. Well, uh, I just want to hear a little bit because because your bio has a, a bunch of different pieces in there of, of where you have experience. Um, but I want to know what your path was like to real estate real estate development. Um, you know, how did you get here, and where did, where did you like first think of real estate as a possibility for your career? Yep, yep. So, uh, real estate for me was an accident. Um, I graduated Morehouse. Um, I started working on Wall Street, and because I had disposable income at the time. Uh, my friend who was actually investing in Atlanta asked me to help him take part in a few investments. Um, from working with him on those few investments, um, I actually purchased my first property uh, in North Jersey. Um, and from there, I still was just investing uh, in Atlanta and other places throughout the United States. And then in 2014, 2015, I got serious about investing in Philadelphia. Um, what does that mean? serious in, in investing what does that mean did you actually purchase a property yeah i mean i actually started person purchasing investment properties as an individual 
Um, and from purchasing uh, properties as an individual and investing in them as an individual, um, I realized the need for me to actually start my own construction company for myself, uh, just to keep up with the demand I had um, and just know who I'm working with, right? Like uh, a lot of people nowadays are straight jump into this game and say, hey, I want to become a GC or GC their own projects. I wasn't that guy. Um, I had guidance from somebody else who was very successful in the real estate industry here in Philly when I first started. Um, and he taught me a lot, um, but he also pushed me to become a GC because he said, hey, you really know how to manage these projects. You really know how to keep up with them. And uh, numbers has always been my thing uh, from Wall Street uh, in high school, in college. That was always my thing. So he was like, hey, you know the numbers, you know how to manage things. Why don't you do this? And that's how I kind of got the construction company started. Yeah. So prior to, you know, actually like having a property and, and it being kind of your, like you said, your passion project, did you have any background in construction or did that no. all? <laughs> the only thing I knew about construction was what my grandfather taught me. So uh, my real estate company is called Five Free Construction. And that's actually a nod to my grandfather and uh, his platoon was 548. And uh, my, when I was younger, my grandpa used to always try to put a hammer, uh, measuring tape, drill anything inside my hand I used to throw it back at him but uh <laughs> I wish I would have paid attention a little bit more uh so I could have came in this a little bit more educated but um I learned everything on the fly just investing in my own projects and being present um I used to because I had the freedom to actually be on site for a lot of my projects and actually meet people I was able like to really do walkthroughs and really get the learning lay of the land when it comes to real estate and construction yeah, sure. So it's interesting to hear about your uh, your experience on Wall Street, and that's uh, quite a move from Wall Street in, in New York to you know West Philly neighborhood or Western North Philly neighborhoods. Uh, t- tell me a little bit about how your experience on Wall Street you know influences you as an investor here in Philly. I mean, I'm sure uh, the, the answer I mean, is numbers. <laughs> the answer to that question, um, I mean, modeling helps you a lot, right? Um, for me, you know, investing is you buying a property at a certain amount of money, knowing what you need and where knowing what you need to put into it in order to rehab it and knowing what the end value is to figure out your percentage of return on the property, right? So for me, if I buy a property at X, I have to rehab it for Y and I can sell it for Z, you know, knowing all those numbers are important going into this project and being able to change the numbers so that you know X is fixed. Once you buy that property, that's what you pay for it. Y you can always change it based on what Z is looking like, right? So, um, and that's something that's very important in the construction field. Um, not so much for me as a contractor when I'm working with another client, right? If, if they say, hey, Jay, I can't sell this property for this much anymore, what can we do? I'll provide them, you know, more alternative affordable methods, but at the end of the day, you know, that's, that's on them. But as me as an investor, you know, when I'm buying my own properties and everyone here on this panel, everyone here on this call, when you're buying your properties, you need to know what Y is and what Z is throughout your throughout your rehab and your flip or when you're renting it out before you're renting it. They didn't teach you many construction skills up on Wall Street. That, that's not something that translated. <laughs> if my computer went down, IT was there in two seconds. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know anything about construction from Wall Street. Yep. So you uh, you mentioned that you started to get serious about investing and, and purchased a property in New Jersey. Um, what what's get, like was that a single family row home? Or- no, no uh, even my property in New Jersey, the first property I bought, it was actually just my primary home. And even that I stumbled into. Uh, it was I bought that in two thousand seven. Um, that was my first year on Wall Street. My uh, my roommate 
uh, <laughs> on Wall Street. We 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 went to college together, and then we became roommates in uh, in North Jersey. And uh, he was buying a home, and I was like, "You're buying a home. I'm buying a home." So I just went and did exactly what he did, and I stumbled upon that. Um, it was very rare. It, it, I had a very unique experience working on Wall Street. I didn't understand the difficulties that a lot of us face when trying to buy, right? Like, like I didn't know about the credit side because I had good credit, being honest. I didn't know about the income barriers because I had a great income, right? So now I know all about it because I'm a full-time entrepreneur. Sometimes when my wife and I go buy something for our personal selves, we're both full-time entrepreneurs. What we have to give just to prove that we can afford a house is like a joke to me. It's like, like, this is crazy. I don't, I shouldn't have to do all this, but I do. But um, when I worked on Wall Street, it was like, you make X? Okay, bet you can afford Y and go out and go get it. And I had the credit score to uh, back me, so. Gotcha. So so that was your personal residence that you got in New Jersey. And then what was your first, I guess, investment property that, that you didn't uh, live in? The first one that I purchased or the first one I invested in? Uh, yeah, either or. What, what was your first experience like taking a, a project or rehabbing it? And then, and well, so I'll, I'll touch on the ones that I actually purchased for myself. And that was in 2015. Um, and the reason why, like, I can discuss the ones that I invested in, but I was solely just a lender, right? Like a solely just an investor. I knew yeah, so some, let's talk, let's talk yeah, some of these projects I've never even seen. I just knew I was making money on them. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, the properties, yeah, yeah. So the ones where I actually like really was like, oh, let me let me really see what's going on here. Those were the ones in Philly. And that was in uh, 2015 was when I purchased my first. I, per- I came to Philadelphia and I purchased two properties right away. Um, I don't advise people to do that. Um, again, I just had the time. Um, I had the money um, and I knew I had the access to the people to help me hit a home run. Um, so I came, I bought two properties. One property I bought was on Walton Street. Um, I had a partner on that. He may actually be on his call. Let's see. Um, no, he's not on the call, but I had a partner on here. Um, and my partner and I, we invested in that. And we actually lost money. Um, my partner wanted to use the hard money lender. Um, I was kind of against it. Um, but I had a partner, so I had to agree to use a hard money lender. We ended up losing a thousand dollars on the deal, right? Because what we sold it for and what we paid to our hard money lender over time, we just lost a thousand dollars. Um, it wasn't the best rehab, but I learned so much in that rehab. Um, the other property I purchased is still in my portfolio. It's actually a rental. Um, and I'm actually looking to convert that rental into a duplex starting in October. Um, just a little bit of background. Might have bought my first property. I, I know the numbers. I I just remember these numbers vividly. Bought my first flip for maybe thirty five. Um, I bought my first rental for twenty five. That rental that I still have is worth like well over two hundred thousand dollars as is. Uh, my flip that I did <laughs> that I might have sold to somebody for like one hundred and thirty grand is now worth like $240,000. So they made a lot of money. And that's why once you do that a couple of times, you're like, wow, like I need to hold on to this for equity purposes. So uh, those were my first two projects. Yeah. So, so, and uh, we're going to get, or my next couple of questions are are more so focused on construction rise or construction cost rises and and the, the, the environment in Philly. But I I do want to hear where you at uh, now. I mean, you have your own contracting company, uh, 548 construction, 
you know, what, what scale of investment are you in now? Are you working on multi-unit properties or? Yep. So mainly I'm, all my projects starting in Q4 will be multi-units for myself. Um, I do have a few multis now. Um, I actually started two multi-units today. Um, and my biggest project is a six-unit conversion. Um, my smallest project is a duplex. So the duplex I'm converting from my first, my first rental, I'm converting that into a duplex. It is currently a single family. Okay, cool. Very cool. Um, so, so now let's talk about, you know, the, our topic is, is the rise in construction costs and how an aspiring developer can navigate it um, without going like too deep into it. <laughs> you know, we, we don't only make this like a, a lecture on, on, uh, on supply chains and, and labor demands and whatnot, but I do want to kind of pick your brain about this because it's clear you, you have some knowledge. Um, other than the obvious reason as there, there's a pandemic, duh. Uh, why is the co cost of construction continuing to remain so high and why hasn't it fluctuated um, or at least bounced back like a lot of the other things we've seen related to the pandemic uh, do? Um, so first thing you have material costs, right? Um, our material costs is ridiculous because most of the things we use come from overseas. Um, and what I know about everything that's coming from overseas right now is a huge delay, right? So they can charge us a huge markup. And then outside of the delay with stuff actually coming to us, it's costing our manufacturers a lot more to actually even produce things. Um, a good example I always use is with uh, Goodman, which is my HVAC supplier. Um, he, Goodman factory in Texas shut down for about two months due to COVID. And now they're trying to catch up on all the orders they had. If you could imagine, you're trying to rush out more product with fewer staff, which you're going to charge us because of the overhead you have. So you have that. And then the third thing is just us as contractors and hiring our staff, we have to pay a more competitive wage to keep our staff and have them working for us. So we have those three factors. It's just insane right now. Yeah, sure. And, and the reason it's not going down is because construction doesn't stop. It's not like the off season or anything. It's kind of it's it's perpetually catching up on yourself, right? Construction is through the roof, right? Like everybody's buying. Um, the demand is just ridiculous. Everybody wants to rehab. There's so much money out there, and just real estate's a hot topic. So, like for me, <clears throat> my phone probably rings every single day with somebody trying to do a home, um, and you just look at it. And you say, you know, whether you can take it on or you can't take it on. Um, and I don't even promote my business. Right. Like if you look for five rate construction, we have a landing page. And again, it's primarily because I only do rehabs for myself and family members. Right. But if you're a contractor out there looking for business, I can't imagine how much your phone's actually ringing during this during this time, because everyone is trying to rehab their homes like people are seeing the value in, in rehabbing. Um, so no matter if you're just a homeowner or if you're a serious investor, you know, everyone's busy right now. Yeah, that's a good point. It's not even like we're the, the industry is trying to catch up. It's, it's like it's trying to catch up while everything's going crazy and accelerating. Right. It's, yeah, yeah, it's on fire. Yeah. So so and, and you mentioned that labor is, is kind of involved in the whole picture. It's not just materials that are, uh, are pricey. You know, is it is it or I guess my that's my question is, is it just the prices of the material that's out of whack right now or is it labor and everything else? Labor too, man. Labor too. I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a GC. So when I GC a project, um, I bring in my own electrician, my own plumber, 
my own HVAC guy, um, but they're all external companies. And I tell you, their numbers have shot up throughout the pandemic. Um, I've been really lucky. My, um, my, uh, most of my suppliers haven't gone through the roof on me, but you know, my guys and even my HVAC guy, he's still giving me the same number, but I know what he's charging everyone else. And like I said, it's going through the roof right now. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And then on the material side of things, what materials are being hit the hardest? Um, or is there any that have stayed stagnant? Everything's getting hit besides flooring and tile, it seems like, right? <laughs> or maybe we're just finding like a more affordable flooring and tile versus the one we used to use. But for me, like everything else is getting hit. Um, the other day, I remember I was buying a piece of a uh, finished one by 12 and uh, it cost me $120 for two 16 footers. And I was like, take this back. We need to go find some more. Uh, Cause I've never paid that amount of money for that kind of stuff. Right. So, uh, so we're getting hit from all angles. Um, no matter if it's wood, no matter if it's cabinet costs, no matter um, appliances, the price has gone up a little bit, but even outside of the price going up, the, the lead time to order appliances is like a month now, which is ridiculous, right? Like, cause you might, you might want to put your appliances in when you're done a project and you're like, you know, I have to order this a month before I'm done and wait for it to come in. That's just crazy. So, so yeah. So uh, continuing with the timing side of things, um, you know, when should a, a new developer expect to be hit with these high costs? Is it at the, the start of their project or is it at the end or, you know, is it throughout? Um, you know, I'm just thinking like, initial phases of construction are like demo carpentry and, and sort of the, you know, the, the, the lumber heavy side of things. Um, is that where people are going to see the high cost or does it kind of continue throughout the whole project? It can happen at any time. Um, what, what I try to tell people is, you know, you break down your rehab in phases as you break it down in phases, you have your budget for each phase, know what each line item costs you. And as like a line item goes up, you need to adjust another line item. So, for me, in phase one, I may just be demoing and framing and putting a new roof on. Um, let's say I'm in a property where the roof isn't that bad. And I'm like, hey, you know what? I really don't have the money to go and put a brand new roof on there, but I can put a silver coat on there. Guess what I'm doing? Putting a silver coat on there instead of putting a new roof on there at the time, letting that rent roll in, and then I'll put a new roof on there at a later point, right? Um, with lumber, it is what it is. It's kind of no way around that. Um, with demoing, I've seen the price of landfills go up. I've seen the price of uh, dumpsters go up. Um, and obviously the price of labor go up on demoing houses. So just that phase alone, I've seen stuff go up, but you just need to adjust based on what you can afford and what you cannot afford. Um, the next price, my next phase is probably me coming in, doing my, uh, my HVAC, my plumbing, my electric and things of that nature. Um, let's say in the beginning, a good example is a property I'm in right now. When I bought the house, I was doing one and a half bathrooms uh, because my Z increased drastically. If I did two and a half bathrooms, I put two and a half bathrooms in there, knowing that it wouldn't cost me that much in order to add that second bathroom with the lumber and also with the tile that was needed and also with the bathroom materials that was needed and the plumbing. I said, why not do it, right? Because my Z went up $100,000 and it definitely wasn't costing me $100,000 to add an extra bathroom. But let's say if it was reversed, well, hey, I might have to knock something out. I may say I'm doing one and a half bathrooms and now I'm only doing one bathroom. So and you can save on that. So.
If you're just tuning in, this is a conversation with Javon Forbes, the owner of 548 Construction, about the recent rise in cost of doing construction and how aspiring developers can help stay competitive in this high-priced environment. Thank you for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM. I hope you're enjoying the discussion. How should a new developer, you know, somebody who's never you know, stepped into foot on a construction site, and maybe they just got their first property and they're they're ready to get going, they hired a general contractor and they're stepping foot through the door, ready to start construction. Um, what what should be their like like baseline theory throughout the whole project of how to keep costs low in this environment where you know like even the simple stuff um, is like exorbitant prices. Um, yeah. yeah, so so I mean, I, and I, I'm kind of leading you to this answer here, but. Uh, you've said it a couple times is know your numbers and how numbers is, is essential. And you, you've also talked a little bit about like your X and your Y, your X is what you have. X, Y is what you can get. X is fixed. Yeah. <laughs> y and Z, they can yeah, let so, you. Yeah, yeah. I'd like you to explain it in that sense. Um, Cause I think that's useful um, and, and kind of put the emphasis on why knowing your numbers and knowing, you know, what you have is, is so important. Yeah. That's, that's really it. Knowing your numbers. Right. So, so if I know my numbers, um, you know, just using an example, I'm buying a property for forty thousand. I'm saying my rehab budget is a hundred thousand, and I can sell it for two twenty, right? And um, I'm just doing some quick math in my head. I'm at one forty on two twenty, probably coming in like right around sixty eight percent, right? Like I, I think that's like a good estimate on what I'm investing into my project. But let's just say my number now goes from. My rehab budget now goes from 100 to 110,000, and my ARV now goes to two 200, right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm in the project for 150, and I'm only getting 200,000. So now I'm at a 75% threshold, so or 75% invested total, right, on my ARV. Mm-hmm. That's not a good number, right? Like that's kind of scary because if you're Refining out, it's not too many lenders. That's going to give you 75% loan to value. Um, if you're selling, you're going to get a lot of costs ate up on the selling, you know, 6% on to your realtors, uh, your transfer taxes, things of that nature. So, you might so lose. when you say know your numbers, you're talking about knowing the numbers both on, you know, what you're spending. Everything. You better know everything. <laughs> and that's, and when I, I talk about my first flip, right? Remember how I said I lost a thousand dollars on my first flip? I blamed it on the hard money lender, but really it's because we didn't know all our numbers, right? We didn't we didn't take into account, hey, we need an agent to sell this, and we're giving her three percent, and we're giving the buyer's agent three percent. Some people negotiate the two point five two percent. I always give my agents three percent, right? Um, and my agent's my wife, so why not give her three percent, right? But uh, but I also like seriously, you know. I always give, I always think agents deserve what they ask for. Just like I deserve what I ask for, right? If you want a bargain, then I'm going to give you a bargain job and people get mad at that, but that is what it is. So, um, so know all you know, all your numbers, right? Like knowing your numbers, like I think there's two important ones you said was acquisition cost, construction cost, and your ARV or, or sales price. Like if you know, all, with what the you know realistic values of all those are, what's feasible, and you can kind of balance them, right? It's like you know if if one's moving down, you know the other is going to move up a little bit. Is that sort of what you mean by like exactly? So so like how I said, you know, like your construction costs may increase ten thousand, right? Like let's just say you board a project and 
March of 2020 and you started in May of 2020, well, guess what? Your framing, your, your projected framing budget might have went up 1.5 just based on the wood that had to be purchased. So let's say your framing budget was 15,000 and went up 1.5, you're now at 22, you're now at 22.5. That's $7,500 more in your project. So with that being said, you're up 7.5 just on framing. Again, if you took my roofing example and said, hey, I'm going to put a gray, I'm, I'm going to put a silver coal on here instead of a new roof because I don't need it. All right, you might have saved $2,000 on that part, right? And then you go and say, okay, I saved $2,000. So now I have a $5,500 increase on my rehab budget. But again, let's say this didn't really happen during the pandemic, but let's just say your, your home value decreased, right, on the ARV. So again, I'm trying to continue to work to get my construction budget down. If my ARV went down, I may then go and say, okay, can I get the same price? Can I get the same ARV if I was to keep one bathroom instead of making this one and a half? And the answer is yes, I'm gonna go with one, in a, I'm gonna go with one bathroom. I now might save another $2,000. So again, the number before I was up 5.5, now I'm down to 3.5 because I saved $2,000 on a half bath, right? Then, Let's say my next step is I planned on using like maybe a $3 per square foot towel. And let's say now I'm going to say I'm going to go with a $1.50 towel, right? My towel budget on the whole project might have been $50, might have been, been $1,000. But if I go for $1.50, I'm now at $500 saved. So it's like pennies I'm, I'm adding up here, it seems like in the grand scheme of things. But now I'm only at $2,500 plus, right? Um, and then the next thing I probably would do is my hardwood flooring. Let's say I was going with hardwood flooring all throughout the project. I would cut that to laminate flooring, right? My laminate flooring, I can probably do laminate flooring for about 70%, 60% of the cost of hardwood flooring throughout, right? So if I can do that, let's say my uh, hardwood flooring budget was $5,000, it's now three grand. So I just saved $2,000. If you realize, I just cut my budget to right where I need to be based on me spending $10,000 more on framing, right? So now, although my ARV went down, my construction budget stayed the same, and I'm not at that 75% threshold, I may only be at 70% loan to value, right? So, so, just, so that what you would call, and this, I just use this because you, you uh, just an affordable alternative method is that what you would sure that's, that's what i would do right like um even like i see people come in and say hey i'm doing a new fence in the backyard um sometimes you may have wanted a wood fence right guess what if i didn't tell my lender what kind of fence i'm doing <laughs> like if i didn't say wooden fence i might put a metal fence up there because it's cheaper than a wooden fence right it's easier to get done um I might have came in saying I wanted to use a composite fencing, like, and I may go with a metal fencing, like, you'll save a lot of money. So, people just need to know where they can change up on based on their lender, or even just if you don't even have a lender and you're funding yourself, just know where you can change things in order to save money. Yeah, and and I guess that could also be called your contingency plan, right? Um, it, I, it's something you mentioned was important was building a contingency into your construction. The contingency budget, yeah. So your contingency budget, I don't even look at that as like my contingency budget, right? My contingency budget would be something I used to do when I was a rookie when I was buying homes, right? I used to buy homes, and I never called the water department to see if the water was shut off. Um, in Philadelphia, it's very famous to walk into a house and they say the house has been winterized. And you're like, oh, this is nice. Like they made sure the pipes were good for me. 
you get in there and they're like, nah, your, your, your water's been cut off from the main. We need you to come and get a service. Like, you get that service done. It's not 2000 3000 No, we're talking a lot of money to get that service done. I saw somebody post that they're spending $30,000 to get a water service. And I, like, I wanted to cry, like what? So, um, or even just to upgrade their water service because they were converting like a single family to like six units or eight units. So it was costing a lot of money. Um, and their water service was on the opposite side of the street. So they had to dig all the way under train tracks and all that. So, could you imagine you not even knowing you had to spend 30 grand and you're adding that onto your budget. And this is somebody, when I saw them, the person that posted it, like they're doing big projects. This isn't their first or second project. They're in major projects. So I'm sure they, they're able to account for that 30 grand somewhere throughout their construction. Right. But at the end of the day, I'm just saying to you, those are contingencies, right? If, if you didn't even account for having to do that, um, I've seen people buy homes and not know the backside of the house is falling or, you know, some a lot of investors buy homes and never walk into their basement and they might have a whole tree growing inside their basement. Um, we were in a property recently and it seemed like the neighbor in back of us used our house as a landfill for when they dug out their basement. They threw all their dirt into our house because the back door was open <laughs> and we had to literally clear out dirt. Right. That was unaccounted for. So. Those are contingency line items, right? Like that's like that, hey, I have $10,000 set aside in this project for anything that comes up. If I don't use it, then great. But if I do use it, hey, at least it was already called for it, right? So. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And I think that's important to distinguish between like, like what you call it an affordable alternative method and your contingency. Your affordable alternative method, right, should be something that like you, you have, the, you're kind of aware of the option and, and as it comes then you make a split decision, that sort of thing. But your contingency is really like, that's the, the nest egg that, that doesn't get touched until you, you pray you don't have to touch it, man. Like, like, um, even, even I, like I, I said, this is a rookie mistake I used to make. Cause you literally can call the water department when you're buying a property and ask them if the service is turned off and they'll tell you like, Hey, you have to go get a new service or whatever. Um, that first property I bought, I had to do a water service. So imagine if I knew that going into the project, I possibly could have saved money, right? Going into the project. So, all right. Uh, so I, I have just a couple more questions here and then we'll move into the, the live Q and A. And I just want to remind everybody, if you have any questions for Javon here, just enter them into the Q and A tab, uh, which is on your zoom toolbar there at the bottom. And we'll, uh, we'll get to them in about 10 minutes or so. Um, but uh, the next thing I want to talk about, and, and you might have covered this already, but I just want to keep picking your brain about it. Um, like, what opportunities in an investment project should you look at uh, to be able to, to cut costs and keep things low? Like, before you even purchase a property to to develop it, you know, um, what what sorts of projects do you think are, are good for an environment like this where it's like, if you want to go do all the bells and whistles and stuff, you're going to be broke? <laughs> you know what's crazy? Um, in this environment, if you're really just flipping a home, you can literally do the bare minimum and win, right? If you buy a house with good bones um, and they're rare, but they're out there, right? So let's say I buy a house where all the walls are are up, <laughs> the electric is good, the plumbing is good and all that. And I'm just like, you know, what? I want to put a half bath in on the first floor, want to put in a new kitchen and I want to update the bathroom on the second floor and possibly put in hardwood floors and in uh, carpets in the bedroom, 
you know, that will cost you half of what a full rehab will cost you, but you may get the same return in value if you buy a house with good bones versus you being a first time home buyer or a first time investor and you're buying a home that literally has had water damage for the last 20 years because nobody's put a roof on there. You don't want to know what it takes to bring that home back, right? Um, or buying a house that was fire damage. You don't you don't want to try those as a first time investor because, yeah, hey, you might get it for 30, 40, 50 grand. But at the end of the day, the number to bring it up and the knowledge you have to have to make sure it's done the correct way. Um, the last thing you want to do as an investor is rehab a whole house and your contractor never pulls a permit. And then when you go to the table to go sell it, you can't get a UNO cert, right? And it's like, it's because it had a make safe violation on there. And your contractor's long gone. Like, what are you going to do then? So for me, I tell investors, start out small and go bigger, right? Unless you have somebody who you really, really trust and you know they're going to hold your hand throughout the process and make sure you really get to from point A to point B with them by your side. Yeah, like it sounds like you, your advice is to tell people to keep safe. <laughs> make sure that like, whatever you're doing, it, like you, you, it's not outside of what you're comfortable with. Um, and learn, learn, like like take baby steps. Like like again, like I've had people come to me, Javon. I have a hundred thousand dollars. I can buy three houses, and I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> like you know, I, I I bought two houses on my first time out the gate. I had a partner on one. Um, and we even used a hard money lender on that one. The, the second home I bought by myself, free and clear and all that. And and trust me, it was like 2014, 2015. That was a stressful time in my life. Like, and and I was doing pretty good in life. Like, you know, so for me to to be stressed over two houses, somebody thinking, oh, I got a hundred thousand, I can buy three. I'm like, nah, man, that a hundred thousand dollars in three homes goes very fast. Like. You got a hundred thousand. You never did this. Keep your hundred thousand. Buy one. Learn the process, and then hopefully a hundred turns into a hundred and ten, one twenty, one thirty, whatever. If you want to go buy two after that, go ahead. You know, but don't just jump out here thinking you can buy everything because you feel like you have six figures and you you're rich. Because that's not that's not really the game plan out here. Yeah, and I want to make sure we also say that like we're not. Or, or I hope this isn't what you're saying is like discouraging people from taking off like that, but just not at their, not as their first step. Right. <laughs> like, yeah, not as their first step. I, I think, I, I think, um, I think again, you can, you can take that on as your first step. If you have some type of knowledge, right. If you're a former carpenter, if you have somebody who you really, really trust as your contractor helping you. Right. But if you, if you don't have that, if you, if you don't have jumpstart guidance, right, like like you guys really do put people through the ringer, right? You give people a lot of knowledge. But I'm telling you is, you know, I've seen it. People come from wherever, you know, you could even be from Philadelphia and you just think you're going to jump in this game and do your thing. And I'm just like, nah, it's you're you're, you're going to get taken on a wild ride. You know, um, I guess it's important also to well, like you want to encourage people to take care of the simple stuff first so that they have the capacity to then, you know, remove all that blight and, and fix all those water damaged houses and everything. This right? is, this is like school, right? Like in school, we learn addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Then we jump out there and start getting things a little bit crazier. Right. Don't think you can jump into algebra if you don't understand division and multiplication and addition and subtraction. Right. And, and now when all the, 
all the tools that you need to make that happen are so cost so much, right? Like like you're you're going to you're you're going to lose your shirt in 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 a gambling term, right? So at the end of the day, I think you just need to be mindful of what you're doing and where your your knowledge level is. And if you don't have the knowledge, again, I was really really lucky. I had a a, a good friend lead me when I started, and you know he really really helped me get from point A to point B. But and even my partner on my first flip, he he's an engineer that worked for WeWork at the time. He managed all the WeWork's construction projects, right? So we had a base knowledge. Hey, I was the number guy. You were the engineer. We could do this. And we had a great contractor holding our hand the whole time. So with with those three things, we we felt like we were good, you know. But if you're not coming in with that kind of knowledge, just drive slow. Like <laughs> I, I think, you know, people. People in this day and age is microwavable time. And it's like construction isn't something where you just want to jump out there right away. I think build up to it, you know, like it, it takes time. So, yeah, that's great advice. Um, so uh, my last question here is just about buying in bulk. Um, I know you mentioned earlier you're you're kind of doing quick math in your head about how all these pennies might not seem like much in, in single transactions. But, you know, when it comes to your bottom line, it, it makes a difference. Um, like, do you suggest people buying material that they're not going to use immediately right now, especially because it's like, like you said, it's it's it, the lead time on when you have to order is it, it is so delayed. So you might like save yourself some time. But is that reasonable? You think that's a good suggestion? I think it's a good suggestion if you know you're serious about this, right? So if you're only in one property, don't go out and buy 5,000 two by four by tens from Lowe's to try to get a discount, right? But if if you did one property and you're like, hey, I know I'm going to do three more throughout the rest of the year, why not go buy 5,000 studs and pull them as you can if you're going to save like 20%, right? Now, I gave a bad example because no matter how many studs you buy from Lowe's, you're not getting a discount there, right? But if you were to go and buy 30 doors from Lowe's, surprisingly, you will get a great discount on those 30 doors versus if you were to just buy five of them, right? So, and that's what I think people have to be mindful about, so. And that concludes my discussion with Javon Forbes, owner of 548 Construction, about the recent rise in the cost of doing construction and how aspiring developers can stay competitive in this high-priced environment. Next week, tune in to hear from Michael Kogut, the president of INGD Lead Swipe, about the new lead safety requirements for all Philadelphia landlords and how to make sure you are all in compliance. The interviews on this program are recorded during Jumpstart Germantown's weekly Jump in Our series, which takes place via Zoom webinar every Monday night at 7 p.m. And if you'd like to participate in the live Q&A with our guest, be sure to head to jumpstartgermantown.com events and register for next week's Jump in Our. If you're interested in starting a Jumpstart program in your own community, visit gojumpstart.org and see our how-to guide and open source training workbook. Thank you so much for listening to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show on Germantown Community Radio, WRGU 92.9 FM, and be sure to tune in next week.